You're listening to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. In today's publishing landscape, you can reach fans all over the world. Query letters are a thing of the past. You don't even need a literary agent. There is nothing standing in the way of making a living from writing. Join two best-selling authors who have self-published more than 20 books between them. Now, on to the show with your hosts, Autumn Burt and Jasper Schmidt. Hello, I'm Jesper, and this is episode 66 of the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. So while Autumn is taking care of some other stuff today, I'm extremely pleased to be joined by probably one of the most influential voices in the indie author space. So I'm going to have a very interesting chat with Joanna Penn. And uh, while we start out by talking about exclusivity versus going wide, I'll also try to ask Joanna some questions that I at least hope she hasn't heard a million times before, but we'll see how that goes. Um, chances are that you've heard Joanna on other podcasts before, so I so I want to see if I can take the conversation in a slightly different direction that, than normal, but we'll see how that goes. For those of you who might not know Joanna, I can let you know that she's an award-nominated New York Times and USA Today best-selling author, and Joanna writes thrillers under J.F. Penn and have written more than 30 books and sold over half a million books in 84 countries, and I think it's probably more than that by now, <laughs> and five languages. So she is a very big advocate of selling your books wide rather than being exclusive to Amazon. And she regularly advises authors on topics within self-publishing through her very successful podcast, the Creative Pen Podcast. So I honestly tried to reduce that introduction as much as I could, Joanna, but the uh, but there's so much to say, so I didn't know where to stop. But welcome to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Jasper. And uh, yeah, I realize I've been going for more than a decade now in this indie space, so I, it can be difficult to encapsulate. But I'm really happy to be on the show today and answer any questions you have. Yeah, that's very good. I don't know, maybe just to start off softly here, is there anything maybe you could share about yourself or what you're doing at the moment that I didn't quite touch upon there in the intro? Uh, yeah, well, I think what's interesting, well, might might be interesting to the listeners. I mean, you have the Am Writing Fantasy podcast. And in fact, I got up this morning and went to my writing cafe and wrote 2000 words on my next fantasy novel. So oh, I, nice. I am a fantasy writer. I do like fantasy maps as as you do. And um, so I'm writing the third in my Matt Walker trilogy, uh, which is a kind of dark fantasy split world um, portal fantasy, I think sometimes they're called. Uh, and but then my other self, uh, as Joe Anna Penn. Um, this week I have a launch um, for Audio for Authors, which is about podcasting and audiobooks and voice technologies and the AI and voice and that kind of thing. So I th- one of the, the important parts of me is that I'm quite a split personality, you know, both a uh, similar to you. I mean, you do the same yeah. thing. You write fiction, nonfiction, um, and I write in lots of other genres. So I think that's what I'm working on at the moment. Well, what I'm always working on is I'm always trying to balance my fiction and my nonfiction, which is a challenge for many writers. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I think I'm going to ask you a bit more about that today as well, <laughs> that balance part. That, that's, uh, that is difficult. But uh, yeah, once again, at least thank you for for joining today. And because one of the things that I initially thought about when when we wanted to invite you onto the podcast um, was the whole topic about being wide versus being exclusive to Amazon, meaning publishing within Kindle Unlimited. Uh, and 
I do personally know why you think it's better to be white, <laughs> and uh, I agree with your points of view on that. But uh, but I think it's a, it's sort of a topic that bears repeating, uh, and it's quite important to to think about those things when people are publishing, whether or not you uh, want to publish white or you want to be exclusive to Amazon. But but maybe you you could just talk us through your line of thinking when it comes to uh, being white versus being uh, exclusive. Yeah, sure. Well, there's a few things. First of all, there is a choice on every book and every format. So you just mentioned Kindle Unlimited. So that's eBooks specifically within the markets that have Kindle Unlimited, which is a very small part of the world and a very small part of the publishing ecosystem. Um, so even if you want to be on KU for your eBooks, you can still go wide with print and audio, which we'll talk about uh, in a minute. Or you could go exclusive with a series and then go wide with other books um, or in one genre or an author name. So there are so many different variations of what wide and exclusive means. So I want to be clear up front. Second thing is that because I've been publishing uh, independently since before there was even a Kindle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, you know, I've been, when did I start writing? 2006 and I published in 2008. It wasn't till 2010, the international Kindle came along. So I basically started pub- self-publishing when eBooks were just kind of starting out, moving from download PDFs from websites to the e-reader. And uh, there was no Kindle Unlimited till I think it was 2014 um, was when it started out. KDP Select started out. So I might be wrong on the dates, but it was certainly a number of years after I started publishing. Also, I was, uh, I'm obviously English and um, I was living in Australia at the time. So even when Americans could publish within the KU ecosystem, the Kindle ecosystem, those of us who were international could not, and it's still not open to everyone. So this is the first thing. I mean, there are people listening to this show potentially all over the world. And, and my podcast has been downloaded in over 220 countries, which I think is pretty Mm -hmm. much everywhere. So what we've got to remember is when you're on the internet, whether it's podcasting or books or whatever, you have to think that there are people who would like to buy your books all over the world. And as you mentioned, um, I have in fact now sold books in 134 countries, which is kind of crazy. So this is my perspective as an international author. What I feel is so often the self-publishing community is dominated by American voices. And American uh, America is the biggest market for sure on its own. But if you put everything else together, everything else is much, much bigger. And we've barely even begun the digital transformation in most countries. So I have this long-term view. I have this international view. I also have a multifaceted view, I guess, because I have so many books. I know you, you and Autumn have a lot of books as well. So I do actually have a couple of books in Kindle Unlimited for German. So I have three German books. They are in KU because I have no ability really to market in German. Um, And in fact, I just put an audio book live today in German. Because I have no other way of marketing those, I've decided to use Kindle Unlimited and ACX for Audible um, specifically in order to use the marketing that I need for a market I have no other way of reaching. Whereas for English language, I have a podcast, I have a website, I use social media, I can reach a market globally through other means. So there is so many things to think about when it comes to exclusivity versus wide. And look, if, if, if someone listening, if you're just starting out, if you only have one book, and you're putting it out in ebook, then sure, 
go in KU, not a problem because there's a lot of things to consider when you are first starting out. And then because it's only a 90 day, you know, turnover, you could change your mind later on and go wide later on. Um, But what I would say is for print, print is very interesting because KDP print is brilliant. You can sell your book on Amazon stores, but you won't get into libraries. You won't get into bookstores. You won't get into universities. You, you know, there's a lot of things you can't do if you publish print on Amazon only. So I recommend Ingram Spark for print and then for, for with KDP print plus Ingram Spark. Um, and then for audio, um, I use ACX for the um, you know, the audible market. And then I use Findaway Voices, again, for library ecosystems and for, um, you know, Google Play, for Scribd, for all those places where people are getting their audio now. So I hope that gives you some sort of facets of the different <laughs> uh, parts of, of wide versus exclusive. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there, there is a, a good point buried in there as well, in the, in the sense that it's not an it's not a forevermore decision when you decide, for example, if, if you put a book into Kindle Unlimited, it can be a, a per book decision as well. You know, it, it's it's not like you can just pull it out three months later. So maybe there is also a point around not overthinking it in that sense that uh, if you want to test it out the waters for a while there, you could do, but do so. But at the same time, wouldn't you also say that those people who read books in subscription systems like Kindle Unlimited are not necessarily kind of the same people who buy books so if you're building an an audience purely for example in kindle unlimited and then you pull them wide afterwards you're starting a bit over in building an audience wide uh, wouldn't you say so Yes, but then I think as we as our author career develops, I think we're always building new audiences. So, um, you know, I know plenty of authors who go into KU for the, you know, the first year and then take the whole series wide, for example. Um, and this is, you know, someone like Lindsay Broker, who's one of the biggest indie fantasy authors, uh, mm. you know, who but she writes a book a month, whereas I'm kind of I write a couple of books a year. In fact, I only write one fantasy book a year. So that's hard yeah. to do when you're not someone who puts a lot of books out. But the biggest difference for those of us who would, who do this for a career and a new author is that a new author literally generally has one book. <laughs> um, mm. Or maybe they have a couple of books if they've held on to some things. So I do recommend that people start with getting to grips with one ecosystem and then moving into other things later for ebooks. But again, I really want to reiterate, especially with nonfiction, you and I both write nonfiction as well. Um, nonfiction is a very print heavy and very audio heavy market um, and in fan- fact fantasy books if, especially if they're long fantasy books or if you do a fantasy audio book box set you can get um, really good sales in audio as well so I do what I really want to emphasize is the idea of having multiple formats as well as multiple stores multiple um, countries so if you think about a business plan that is the kind of scaling that you want to do over time and as for different kinds of readers I agree with you I'm someone who buys books on the Kindle but what we're seeing with digital with audio as well as ebooks is a move to more and more subscription services so I mentioned Scribd Mm. for example which is growing fast in um 
audiobooks, obviously it's not just Audible, it's Storytel, it's uh, all these different types of uh, subscription services. So I don't think we're stopping the subscription service anytime soon. I think what, (laughs) what I want is to say, I'd rather be on every subscription service. So I would go, I have nothing, uh, no issues with KU. I have an issue with exclusivity. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was actually just about to say the same thing. For example, Kobo Plus as well. I don't have any problem with their subscription model there because they don't demand you to be exclusive. That's the part that I I also personally don't like. Um, And also Amazon making... Well, as authors, our income is the books that we're selling, unless we're doing other things as well. But but at least from a starting point, that that's the income we're building, and being hundred percent dependent on Amazon deciding something else tomorrow than they did today. I don't know. I just does does not feel good to me. No, exactly. I'm the, I'm the same as you, as you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but maybe. Uh, that moves us quite nicely into into another part of the same conversation because as authors, of course, we are, as we just said, we are building an income based on book sales. Um, but one thing is that a book can be several different things, like, like you just talked about. Uh, audiobooks is, is another format. Uh, maybe there is um, foreign rights or, or whatnot, but there's also other things you can do as, as, as an author. I mean, of course... Um, both you and, and myself and Autumn also run some author courses and that sort of thing. So what I'm getting into is sort of multiple streams of income that you can make a living from rather than being dependent on a single sole income as, for example, ebooks or whatever we want to say. Uh, but I was wondering if we are thinking about somebody who wants to build a full-time income, is it or maybe there is no difference here, but that's my question, right? Do, would you recommend that people focus on like a few well-earning streams of income and then put all their you know marketing focus and all their money in, in those baskets or is it better to have just a lot of smaller streams of incomes that together builds up a, a larger streams and maybe you know what are the pros and cons of each if there are any that was a long question. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, there's a couple of a couple of questions to kind of fire at people listening. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, one is what is a full time income? So this differs for in so many ways. <laughs> you know, if you are, if you, let's say you're listening and you're single and you're renting and you don't have kids, you don't, you know, you don't have a lot of debt. That is a very different situation to someone you know who might be in their my age, you know, mid forties, maybe has a mortgage, has some kids in school. You know, yeah. there's so well, the definition and and there's obviously if you live in New York City versus the middle of you know. Uh, Sheffield here or you know places that might be cheaper to live so that would be one thing that you have to decide what is a full-time income that needs to be the number one thing the second thing needs to be what do you want to do full-time so uh, for example I mentioned Lindsay Broker so Lindsay's Lindsay's a friend of mine and um, she has obviously the six-figure author podcast which I highly recommend but Lindsay writes all the time you know she has said that she does sometimes 10-hour days writing now there is a different personality type and a different type of author. No one is the same type of author. But when I compare myself to Lindsay, she writes every day for that many hours. So maybe she puts in a 40, 50 hour week on the actual writing. I write, but I generally write maybe two hours a day. So maybe I put in a 10 hour uh, week in terms of writing fiction. Um, So if you look at 
how we make a living, that is going to be reflected in the work that we do and that we want to do. So when I, you know, as I said, I've been doing this full time for almost 10 years now uh, since I left my job in, in 2011. And I have never wanted to make a full-time income from fiction. (laughs) I wanted to be an author entrepreneur. So this is the thing. Who are you as a personality? I cannot help myself. I don't think you can either. I mean, if you, you know, if you you end up going, oh, I really want to write this nonfiction book, or I really want to do this course because I want to help other people, or I I really want to podcast because I want Mm -hmm. to talk about the things I care about. And I think you come from a business background. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we just can't help ourselves. So there are other people listening who might be like Lindsay, who literally all they want to do is write those, write fantasy books all day. So what you end up with is the desire to do different things also feeds into the multiple stream of income idea. Um, And that's really important because we don't want you to be miserable. You know, you don't want to give up your job and then find you hate it. I I would go nuts if I tried to write fiction as a full-time job. (laughs) (laughs) Me too, I think. (laughs) Exactly. But that's just not how our brains work. I'm very happy writing a couple of novels a year, a couple of nonfiction, do a course, etc. So that's that that covers the first so two questions. How much do you want to make? What is a full-time living? Two, what kind of person are you and what type of work is going to make you happy? Because at the end of the day, we all have to work. (laughs) You just have to choose what you want to work at. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's get on to the multiple streams. So I have I have so many like many hundreds at this point of streams of income and there are as you say there are two kind of basics active ones and passive ones and then what well, kind of half passive no, nothing is truly passive unfortunately but if we take um I know you've done a podcast on Scrivener for example so yeah. I have a tutorial on Scrivener I have a tutorial on Vellum do you do you use Vellum yeah, Autumn uses Vellum, yeah. Okay, so Vellum, for anyone listening, is um, formatting software. I love it. So I have a tutorial on Vellum um, on my on my website, thecreativepen.com, and I have an affiliate link. So an affiliate link is commission. So if somebody uses my link and buys Vellum or buys Scrivener, then I get some money. Now, I recorded that video several years ago. It just sits on my website. People come to the website, and I get money every month from those software platforms. Now, it's a useful video. You don't have to buy using my link. And it's kind of evergreen, as pa- about as passive as you can get <laughs> in terms of a, an income stream. So what's, what is the problem in doing that? You just have to spend a couple of hours making a tutorial video that will help your audience. Um, so that's a, an idea of passive. I don't believe book sales are passive income because you really have to market these days. Um, You can get some residual sales. So I I always say to my husband, if I died, it will probably take two years before the sales withered to nothing Mm. unless Mm. you do some marketing. So um, books are certainly not passive income. Uh, Doing a course. So I know you, you do courses, I do courses, and I don't launch my courses. They're all evergreen, which means, again, they sit on my website and you can buy them anytime. So again, in a way, they're kind of passive. Um, And then just some ideas about active income streams. So one, obviously, both of us do a podcast. And I have a Patreon. I think, do you have a Patreon? Yeah, 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 we do. Yeah, I thought you did. Um, so Patreon is an active income stream because if you don't produce a podcast, you will not get any money from your patrons. Thank you, patrons, by the way, everyone listening. <laughs> you are wonderful. We love you. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and in fact, I dedicated my latest book, Audio for Authors. It's dedicated to the listeners of my podcast and especially my patrons because... Oh, perfect. Yeah, because I, they really make, not make me, but drive me back to the microphone every week. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. So pa- Patreon, and also just for those of you who write, Lindsay again, bringing Lindsay up because she's a fantasy author. I figure. Have you had Lindsay on your show? Yes, we actually did. Yes. Oh, there we go. Okay. So Lindsay also has a Patreon for her books. So she she does something smart. She releases her books uh, to her patrons first, and then puts them in Ku. So she actually gets around uh, the exclusivity by you know giving. Uh, basically selling them to her patrons on a pre-release, then putting them in KU. And then when the series is done, she eventually she puts it wide. So she's got a really good model there. Um, the other the other person um, is, uh, she writes as Mira Grant as well. Anyway, there's a lot of writers who put short stories on um Patreon, NK Jemison has a Patreon. I mean, she's won all the Hugo Awards and everything. Uh, so Patreon can certainly be used for writing, but again, it's an active income stream. And then another one would be speaking. So if you are a successful author, at some point, you will be asked to speak, <laughs> uh, whether mm-hmm. that's at a literary festival, which will not pay you, uh, or they'll just pay expenses, or you could um, you know, speak and, and get paid. You could do your own events, uh, that type of thing. So, And again, that is an active income stream you have to get people to come along and then you actually have to teach it. So those are a couple of examples of uh, active and slightly passive, more passive uh, income streams. Yeah, I want to circle back to the events in in just a few minutes. But uh, before going there, I... The, the one thing that I'm quite sure many thing many people will be thinking is that okay so if we have if we're doing all of these things because I agree with what you said before that it it all depends also on what do you want to do and thus if you want to do it, it hopefully it doesn't feel like slave slave work or something like that <laughs> then you're happy to do it right but at the same time if we aren't juggling multiple things here um, and I know you do a lot so my question to you was. How do you structure your workday to make sure that you apply enough focus on the different things? Because um, as you if, as you brought up the example with Lindsay, right? If you're just writing and you're writing eight hours a day and then you do one hour marketing or whatever, then that's pretty simple. But in cases like both us and you, where you, you're building maybe courses, you are attending all kinds of different stuff, but also you're writing some nonfiction and fiction and whatnot. How do you decide where to focus and put enough energy in each one every day? Right. Well, I've always done the same. I had a day job, just so everyone knows. I did have a day job for for the first five years of doing this. So 2006 to 2011, I had a day job. And my schedule then is the same as now. So I, I do creative work in the mornings and I do marketing and business in the afternoons. So... Uh, you know, when I had a day job, I would get up at five and I would write, try and do an hour before then going to my day job. And in the evening, I would come home and work on the podcast, work on my business website. And then at the weekends, I was teaching courses and building out the business. So basically, I did that for five years. So when I left my job, I already had streams of income. Uh, Now I do pretty much the same thing. It's just I go in the morning to a cafe and I write and I work on first draft material. And I have to get out the house because I'm talking to you at my home office and I cannot write first draft material in this office. (laughs) So because I'm surrounded by distraction, as you say, I have a lot of other things to do. There's always more email, there's always more stuff to do. But I leave the office and I go and I write. So I know today I did my 2000 words and that's done. And then I 
go and do some exercise and then I come back here and then the afternoon slash evening I do interviews I do podcasting I do business accounting all the things you have to do to run a business um, I'll also do course creation and anything kind of more technical in the in the afternoons so that is literally it um, you if you're listening and you're not a morning person then you're gonna have to do it at night maybe it's the other way around or you could do alternate days if you literally only have one hour maybe you can alternate the days or if if you are just starting out again finish a book like <laughs> don't get distracted by marketing and all these other things until you have a book I hear I get way too many questions from authors who are like what shall I do about marketing and I'm like so how many books do you have they're like oh I haven't even finished a first draft <laughs> so yeah. yeah finish the book first but that is how I, I manage my time um, also another tip is I use Google Calendar um, to really manage my time in block in hour blocks, uh, sometimes half hour blocks, and everything is highly scheduled. Um, so you know, and when I'm in that time slot, like you and I right now, we have a time slot. We're doing our interview, and then the time slot is done. And I have another time slot after this. I have a whole load of interviews this afternoon. So I I batch tasks and um, basically just focus within the period of time I've allowed, whether or not that's, you know, a, a half an hour or an hour like I did back in the day or now my full-time life. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondered, uh, not versus autumn, for example, autumn is uh, not maintaining a day job, but I'm still maintaining a day job because I'm kind of in the in this place where you talked about earlier, right? How much income do you need to uh, replace And unfortunately, I have too much I need to replace. So I'm still uh, doing the day yes. job. So at least on my end as well, uh, I I, I try. I kind of adopt the same thing as you were saying there in the means that uh, I can only do my creative stuff. But I, of course, I have to do it very early in the morning before I, uh, I do my day job uh, activities. But I can only do creative stuff in the morning because I always feel like afternoon, evening, I'm just too tired. So, but I can easily do marketing stuff and all that stuff in the evening because, uh, yeah, with the business background, that comes easy to me. So I don't need to yeah, use too much that. brain power doing that. Yeah, I think, and that's exactly the same as me. I, I, it is much easier to do this kind of stuff than it is to write fiction. <laughs> and, yes. and actually, the, what I would say to people, and I, there's there's some romantic myth that being a full time writer is the goal. That's not necessarily the goal. You know, the goal is to have a great life and to write your books as well. Um, if you look at some of the figures that have come out from the various author organizations, most writers, including most indie writers, do not make very much money at all. So you have to either have multiple streams of income uh, or you you keep your job. And in fact, I would also say having a job is great. You know, if you enjoy your job, then keep your job. Um, I hated my job. So I really wanted mm. to leave my job. And this is the thing, but I, I definitely want to encourage people. Look, if you can keep your creative life alongside your day job, then you won't have to do a lot of other things to bring in multi, multi streams of income. You can just focus on your creative work. And in fact, the book Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, um, she actually says you should support your art. Don't ask your art to support you. And I find that very challenging because of course I do have my art, but I also have my business. Um, so yeah, these are things that everyone has to weigh up for themselves. Um, but as somebody told me a long time ago, don't be romantic about how you pay your bills. <laughs> money <No>. is money. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point for sure. <laughs> but I, I wanted to uh, circle back to the events uh, that you mentioned uh, a few moments ago. 
Um, and I guess this is a bit of a sort of a self-serving question because I feel like, uh, you know, where, when you get you on the podcast, I, I'm entitled to at least have one self-serving question as well. <laughs> <laughs> because one of the things that um, Autumn and I have been discussing uh, was to whether or not we should look at in the future doing some events on our own, you know, putting some together, maybe either with larger audiences or maybe with smaller intimate audiences. I don't know. but. I have all the time been wondering if it is really, if you're looking at it from an income perspective, if it is really a viable way to get an income, because it feels to me like if you go with the large audience, of course, you're also gonna, you know, you have a lot of work on your hands to organize everything. Um, and of course, you need to be able to attract enough of a crowd to actually fund the, the venue that you decide to take out. Um, but if you go with a small crowd, then I feel like either you have to have such a high ticket price that people are not really gonna want to to do it, or you can only just cover your costs. So I'm just curious a bit about what your experience when it comes to speaking gigs and events and stuff like that. If it's is it something that is viable to look at as something you can earn money from, or is it more like a building your brand name kind of thing? Well, again, it, it depends on what type of speaking you're going to do and because uh, there are all kinds. You know, I have a friend who is a keynote speaker uh, for places like Google and Facebook and, you know, he can get 20 grand for a lunch meeting. Um, right. So if you choose to speak to a corporate audience and you have a topic that is appropriate for corporate events, then you can earn tons. Um, but if you are, let's say you're going to do a workshop on fantasy map making, then you are not going to make much money from that um, because the audience won't pay for that workshop. You know, they're not going to pay that much for that workshop. So mm. this is where you have to decide your own goal. And uh, whereas, for example, you could decide to speak at um, an author convention, you could do a panel on a work on an author convention, and that would help build your brand. As you say, we'll probably sell some of your fantasy map making books and um, may get you some more readers, but you don't do author events for the money because it's it's just not there. Uh, as, as you say, um, I have so in terms of actual income and I may be running <laughs> as we speak the coronavirus thing is uh, having fun with the world uh, yes. so I was about to actually book a hotel for a um, per in-person event um, and I was going to have 30 people I may still do this so by the time anyone listens to this it may well be happening or might be in the future or whatever but this the types of things I've done where I have made money and when I say made money I mean a couple of thousand pounds in a weekend which mm. you know to many people is good money money mm. um and also it's a you know can be an interesting weekend so that would be 30 people in an you know a decent hotel and the price would be aimed at people who are serious about their writing career so it's not a 101 how to write a book type of situation so so you've got a number of factors there it's you know what are you comfortable doing and i've been doing professional speaking again for a decade so i know how to run a small event like that i would never ever run a big event i think the risk is too high and also it's not fun for me. I, 
I'm I'm an introvert, you know, I don't enjoy big events yeah. anyway. Um, uh, so yeah, you have to decide like, who are you? Who are the audience? Who's going to pay? And so for example, I, I've had an idea on the back burner for a few years now that I'll write and probably pitch to a traditional publisher in order to aim for that corporate speaking market. I may well still do that as well. But that's where I see if you want to be a speaker, then you can earn money with the right audience. If you want to be a teacher and run small events and or speak at author things, then it is a much smaller uh, thing. And, you know, speaking at fantasy conventions, that is a brand building. So there's just such a range of of things. Yeah, yeah, I I see what you're saying. But and I think also, I mean, of course, for the corporate speaking market, um, I, I fully agree with that. Uh, I, of course, from our point of view, we were more looking at the um, at like the author community, right? Because we also our courses are aimed at authors and and all that. So that would that would be our audience, right? Other authors uh, wanting to. Uh, go to an event, uh, whatever that may be. Yeah, right? and, then, but, uh, and then you have to look at the author market in general and say, yeah, there are some authors with some money, um, but if you look at the ticket price on most author events, they are not very high. So yes, there are ways no. you can do it, but you you have to know your audience and know your value to the audience and what you mm. can deliver that is worth a higher ticket price, for example. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Uh, something we will continue discussing internally myself and autumn about what we want to do there but for for one i I think it could be fun i mean uh, of course running a podcast running courses we also do all of that stuff because we like helping other people we like teaching Mm, right so so exactly and that's another reason to do it but you know you asked about the money (laughs) yeah yeah indeed because basically i i I guess what we're we're trying to see if there is like a overlap in the venn diagram here right where it's not gonna it's not because we need to get rich from it but we do want to earn a bit of money because at the end of the day uh, going preparing both preparing an event but also going to an event uh, it is taking away time from other things that we could be doing that would earn us money so it needs to sort of be justified in that sense as well mm, so yeah. that's something we'll think about but uh, i think you should probably start the pair of you or one of you whoever you know you should pitch for panels at existing events or pitch to do workshops at existing events and then see if you enjoy it basically yeah, Autumn has already participated in a couple of different panels in the US uh, where she's based. Uh, so she already sort of dipped her toes into the pond there. <laughs> so, uh, okay, but that's good. But that, that was a bit about uh, future thinking here. So maybe I could uh, shift us into another future future uh, <laughs> question here, Joanna, uh, because I know that you probably like most, uh, unlike most others, I guess, uh, really like to look into the futuristic stuff. Um, so when I had you on here, I couldn't think of anyone better to ask about where you see stuff like VR and augmented reality come into fiction books. And if this is something we should as authors actually pay some attention to, um, and if we want to pay attention to it, where where do we look? Where, where do we get those like, um, you know, if we want to get in early on some of the stuff, where, where do we get the inputs and the insights as to how to do stuff like that? Well, it's interesting because, of course, augmented reality and virtual reality are really starting to take off. And in fact, again, circling back to the the coronavirus, what we're seeing is share prices in companies that do remote working and remote you know, experiences are going up. <laughs> so mm. we, I'm, I think we may even see an acceleration in things like AR and VR 
because of this um, virus uh, issue, um, because people will want to do more in VR. So, for example, I'm meant to be speaking uh, when this goes out, it will have happened or not happened. But I don't know right now whether London Book Fair is, is going ahead. And I'm meant to be speaking uh, at an event. And, um, you know, I could, if I could speak in virtual reality, then I probably would. <laughs> so mm. one, in talking about teaching courses, for example, I do think that we're going to see the rise in, you know, there's a lot of digital tickets to events at the moment you can get um, to conventions and stuff that in the future, maybe we just deliver those in VR or in terms of marketing, maybe you and I meet in uh, some kind of virtual space and uh, people can attend the virtual space. So I think there'll be a lot of teaching, a lot of events will happen in in VR. Um, Of course, one of the biggest areas that's already ahead of the curve um, is gaming. Uh, So a good example in the fantasy space, of course, is The Witcher. Uh, Have you read the books or seen the I've seen the uh, movie or uh, series, Netflix. I should say. Yeah, well, yeah, of course, Netflix. you know, the books have become massive because of the gaming. Um, so what I think is interesting is the licensing of fantasy universes for gaming. And that is a challenge for independence. I do not think AR and VR are things we can do alone. So whereas we can very easily write a book alone, format it with Vellum and, you know, pay a cover designer and an editor, please. But we can basically get books out on our own. Um, I have my own audio booth. I can do audio books on my own. But when it comes to AR, VR, gaming, um, adaptation in, of fantasy worlds into this multimedia space, this is where life licensing is going to come into its own. So I really think this is a fascinating area and there's going to be lots more stuff going on. And I know quite a lot of writers who write for gaming worlds uh, at the moment. That's definitely something that fantasy authors can consider if they want to uh, look at that. That's obviously work for hire, which we didn't talk about, but that is, you know, like that's a sort of contract jobs. Um, but yeah, um, books to gaming, to adaptation, to fantasy worlds that are turned into these entertainment experiences, that is that is only going to get bigger um, as we get more and more of these streaming services, uh, you know, Disney and Amazon and Netflix and everybody else. So I think that's very exciting. But as I said, the education side, that's probably where I'll be looking uh, over the next, certainly in the next decade, you know, by the time we get to 2030, I think we'll be doing things quite differently. Uh, in terms of podcasting, in terms of marketing, there'll be a lot more that is online in real life, if you get what I mean, sort of in mm. in in that in that way. Do you think fiction books, uh, you know, for example, Kindle or eBooks, do you, do you think that they will become more interactive in one way or another? No, I I think it is the interactivity of an eBook to me is. Uh, has to be another product. I think we might, you know, we, the formats. So audio books, for example, I'm thinking of adapting some of my audio books. And an audio book is a straight read of a text, right? But I could mm. rewrite my books as um, audio dramas. So I've written quite a lot of screenplays for my books. Um, but audio dramas are cheaper to produce. So I'm definitely thinking of that. But the in terms of the interactivity, people get that from gaming. People get that from other formats of a work so i do think that the ebook uh is not something that will become interactive uh, i think it'll just be something different so it might be an augmented reality experience whatever you call that so for example i've written um some books some crime books that are set along the south bank of london and i've thought about well maybe i could do an augmented reality 
tour of that area of London. So if you walk around there, you, I'll be there next to you talking about the place. Um, mm. I have thought about that. But again, I think we have to consider these things as different formats and also going beyond being independent to licensing. So we haven't really talked about licensing at all, but um, we have copyright in our creative work and we can license it to different people to do different things. So I think indies have mastered doing things ourselves, the basic stuff, but we're going to have to get a lot more comfortable with licensing if we want to move into these more extended worlds. Right. And do do you think... uh all this uh, VR augmented reality and stuff. Do you think that this is something that would be good to get, you know, get going early or getting as an early adopter of that? Or is it better to wait until it becomes a bit more mainstream and maybe the cost goes down to produce it and stuff like that? I I don't think you can get into this early as an independent. I I can't see how you can. It's not like you can buy a piece of software like Vellum. (laughs) And then make something, unless you're a programmer, um, getting involved with that. To me, uh, as a creative, I can't see a way to get involved in it early. No, no, I agree. Let me, let me clarify what I meant. It, what I meant was more to really pay a lot of focus on what is happening in the market and sort of have your finger on the pulse. And then if if a company comes out with some sort of solution that can be used from a from an author perspective, then you jump in really early and, and start moving on it. Or is it better to sort of wait? Because I, I what I'm thinking is that if you jump in early, the cost will also be significantly higher. Uh, whereas if you wait until it's like a proven product that that people know that this stuff is working then probably the cost will go down but of course then everybody is doing it and you're not getting the early mover advantage there so that was more my my question i think i didn't mm. explain it well enough well i think everyone has to decide what they're interested in uh so you know i've been podcasting since 2009 so i was clearly into podcasting before it went mainstream. Thus, I was able to take advantage of being an early mover in the space. Um, But I am not, I don't have, I'm not a gamer. So I I don't have any gaming headset. If you are a gamer listening, you probably have, uh, you know, you might already have an AR uh, headset. There are lots of different, they've been going, you know, the virtual reality headsets have been going for years now. So I think people will choose, you have to choose what you're interested in and follow that. And it will likely be the stuff you already do for fun. So for me, it's always been audio. For other people, it might be gaming. Mm, okay, fair enough. All right, well, time flies when you're having fun here. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe uh, to, to finish off, um, is there anywhere a place where you want to direct the listeners to if, if they want to know more about you and what you're doing, Joanna? Yes, if you like podcasting, which presumably you do. <laughs> so <laughs> come on over to the Creative Pen Podcast, Pen with a Double N. Uh, that is my podcast for authors. I have another podcast called Books and Travel, which is obviously about books and travel. And um, that is the Books and Travel Podcast. And yeah, basically, I think um, if people have questions, probably the best place is Twitter at the Creative Pen. But it's definitely a really interesting time to be a writer, and being a fantasy writer in particular uh, is definitely a great time to write fantasy. So I appreciate what you, you and Autumn, are doing with this show. Oh, thank you, and uh, thank you very much for coming on today, uh, Joanna. No worries. Thanks so much, Jesper. All right, so uh, I hope you got a lot out of that conversation with uh, Joanna Penn. And uh, next week, Autumn will be back and we will be back into our old groove again. 
If you like what you just heard, there's a few things you can do to support the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. Please tell a fellow author about the show and visit us at Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. You can also join Autumn and Jasper on Patreon.com slash AmWritingFantasy. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll get awesome rewards and keep the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast going. Stay safe out there and see you next Monday.